0: Welcome to the 360 Leadership Podcast, the top rated show for driven women in senior leadership with new episodes released every Wednesday. I'm your host, Lucy Garnon, a multi-award winning executive coach for women leaders and the founder of 360 Leaders Club, an exclusive high-level membership for career-driven, family oriented women just like you. I created the 360 Leadership Podcast to share practical tips, actionable step-by-step strategies, and inspiring stories to support you to unlock the power and belief within, to accelerate your impact and potential, so you can build a life filled with success, balance, and happiness. So are you ready to achieve 360-degree success? No more excuses, no more waiting, your time is now. Hi everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of the 360 Leadership Podcast, where I am joined by A another fantastic guest and this guest is honestly I'm like I look up to you okay that's all I'm going to say I think you're absolutely phenomenal today we our guest is Selena Resvani whose mission is to help women carve out paths to leadership she's been named by Forbes as the premier expert on standing up for yourself at work She's the author of the Wall Street Journal best-selling book, Quick Confidence, which is just super powerful, and also wrote Pushback and the Next Generation of Women Leaders. She addresses thousands of professionals each year and has been featured in TEDx, Harvard Business Review, Inc., The Today Show, and NPR, and she's also a columnist for NBC's News Know Your Value. She is based in Philadelphia, where she lives with her husband, Jeff, and her 10-year-old boy-girl twins. So, Selena, you are so welcome on the podcast today. How are you?
1: I'm really good. Uh, better now that I'm with you. And I just want to thank you, Lucy, for all the great work you do to empower women. Right back at you. So we were just literally speaking about that before
0: we came on about the importance of and I know this is not what we're talking about in its entirety, but the importance of women, empowering women and supporting each other. So maybe like before we get into about you and everything, like how important is it do you think for us to support each other as women so we can progress together?
1: It's undeniably important, you know, because part of the ways we can support each other normalize, can normalize women doing things mm-hmm. that maybe they've gotten pushback or blowback for, um, you know, in the past or even at times now. And I'll give you a quick example. Um, some of this requires us women to catch our own biases in action. Mm-hmm. But I remember hearing a woman introducing herself. She was new to my company and She was explaining to us the kinds of projects she'd overseen, the big deal companies she'd come from. And I found myself saying like, wow, she's blowing her trumpet, isn't she? And I had to stop and catch myself because here I was falling prey, you know, to the stereotype that, oh, maybe women should be modest, you know, humble, self-effacing. And really, she was just trying to tell us like where she came from, you know, and what Experiences she brought. Um, so I think there are so many micro moments that we as women can either catch some of our own stereotypical thinking, um, you know, and, and correct it mm-hmm. or, um, you know, do the affirmative thing, you know, maybe in a case like that, applaud that woman, pull her aside afterwards or speak positively to her in front of her team. Um, I'm so glad you introduced yourself that way because you really gave us a sense of where you've come from.
0: Mm. And where do you think um, those biases come from? Because I have my opinions on this.
1: Yeah, you know, there are decades of research that show some of the biases we have around gender in particular come from kind of rigid stereotypes about how, for example, men should act Women should act and that when we act out of those stereotypes or roles, we often get punished for it. And for women, some of the main stereotypes that uphold the biases are things like being modest, mm-hmm. nice, communal, attentive, you know, accommodating. And, and of course, if you look at a job like leadership, which you know all about Lucy, it often requires us to do things that are the antithesis of that. For example, to make a really hard call on a decision, to make the unpopular choice, you know, to take a firm position on something and not back down. Mm. You know, so it's a very, very tight, tightrope that women end up having to walk. Um, but, but Lucy, I'd love to hear your perspective on some of these biases and stereotypes. What do you see?
0: Yeah. First of all, I think you're, you're so right. I love that you're calling out the modesty and the nice. And as I call it, like the good girl syndrome as well. It's like, I mean, I was raised to be a good girl. I don't know about you. So I really had to break out of that. Like, but I think a lot of the time with women, Selena, it's about, it's jealousy. It's
1: mm-hmm. when
0: another woman has the confidence to advocate for herself and to, for example, in my business, I position myself as the number one executive coach supporting women in leadership with self belief and confidence. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe not as much as you, right? But that's how I position myself, and and I found it really difficult. I was working with my brand strategist to step into that role, and I was kind of going, "Well, I can't say that. What are people going to think mm-hmm. about me?" And she was like. Like you need to call yourself a multi-award winning coach because you have been nominated for like 15, 16 awards. You've won. I was like, but I can't say this. So I really had to challenge myself and own, I suppose, where, you know, my my strengths and my accolades. So I think I think as women then sometimes, if we don't come from an environment where I came from with the corporate space, where we don't speak in that way, well, then it becomes alien. So I think like going back to your point on this whole thing about like biases, how can, how can we begin to overcome them firstly as a woman to woman?
1: Yeah. And I love your example. And I really appreciate it. By the way, and I think a lot of us can relate to it. Mm-hmm. Um, some ambivalence with our own power, with owning mm-hmm. our own power or title or authority. So, um, I know a lot of us are feeling that story you just shared. Um, but in terms of our biases, I think some of it comes, you know, in, in looking at and boosting our awareness. Mm -hmm. And the idea there is that all of us have these unconscious biases, right? Um, the thought, the thought that we have, the biased thought, wow, that woman's really blowing her trumpet. She's bragging. That thought may be automatic, but our reaction to that thought is something we can control. Yes. And that's what gets me out of bed every day. That's what gets me excited. Next week, I'm doing a workshop uh, for people around the world on interrupting gender bias, right? And that's what's really exciting. The thought might be automatic or unconscious, but our reaction is something we can control. Mm. And so I think one element is to bring that learning mindset. None of us are kind of ever done,
0: mm-hmm. you know, doing the
1: work of mm-hmm. bias management and being inclusive leaders. None of us are done. It's kind of like a garden, right? A garden's never done. Mm-hmm. It kind of needs consistent ongoing weeding and nourishment and, uh, exposure to important things. And it's the same with us. You know, so I think bringing that learning mindset, um, a, a somewhat forgiving mindset, knowing you're going to step in it. Sometimes mm-hmm. you're going to mess up, you're going to say the wrong thing in your quest to learn. That's mm-hmm. okay. You know, try to know better and do better. It's I think knowing we can control what happens after the thought. It's knowing this is ongoing. It's not a little tick mark or check mark to be one and done. I completed the training, so now I'm I'm done with it. And I think, too, I I would just say education and exposure. Can Mm -hmm. you keep stretching your own education and exposure in inclusion, even if your company doesn't send you to uh, something like this? Even if your company doesn't say, hey, Lucy, will you be the one to start an employee resource group? You know how can you yourself get more education, exposure, experience? I love, I love that. I want
0: to bring you back to something you said, which is pivotal. I know my listeners are going to be going, but how? Um, so you said that, and I love it that the the whole thought process we can't control the thought, but we can control the response. And so I'm asked this again all the time too, and I'd love to hear your tips on how do we control. The response when it's so ingrained in ourselves, like what are your tools and tips and tactics
1: to be able to respond more thoughtfully? Mm-hmm. Well, so one of them, you know, I described that tightrope uh, that women can sometimes walk when they behave out of stereotype, right? In more agentic behaviors that we stereotypically have associated as masculine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, That women sometimes get punished for doing that, being decisive, you know, being particularly assertive in their approach or style. And so I think one of the things is listening for kind of stereotyped or punishing assessments of people. Maybe it's review time and you're sitting around a table and, you know, people are saying, you know, I think Mike has great leadership potential, but Susan she really needs to work on her interpersonal skills, kind of smiling more, mm. right? To be aware of these things when we hear them around us, maybe even when they come out of our mouths. You yeah. Know? Um, so I think that's one thing is where bias breeds is in people decisions, mm. promotions, rewards, compensation, hiring, who gets plum assignments and stretch opportunities. So really making a point to tune in and listen that things are being handled equitably when those people decisions are getting made, which is often. Oh my God. You
0: know what? You're bringing me back when you were saying that to a scenario that I remember now, and it's like all the light bulb moments just went off. I had a team member who was really assertive in my team when I used to work in corporate and she was the kind of person she got things done she didn't take any crap and i i just thought she was fantastic because she was so results driven she was able to manage the team etc etc and i remember sitting around the table with you know at the end of year time with the rest of the 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 people on the leadership team and we were you know rating everybody and and I, this girl i wanted her in the outperform category because she delivered such value for for the company she was fantastic and there was this one guy who dealt with her regularly and he was like, no, she doesn't. She she really doesn't. She's she's uncooperative. And and so because she wasn't jumping through hoops for him when he needed her to, he saw that as uncooperative. And I, and I just think now I'm like, Ah, oh, that's why because I never really understood. Like she was fantastic. But really, I think it was because she he was quite a dominant male and he was used to people saying yes. And she was saying, no, I can't do this. So if if some of my listeners are resonating with this, and I know they are, how would you advise they handle that situation if they're at the leadership table? What kind of um, questions or what kind of, um, you know, what can they do to influence it?
1: Yeah, that's such a great example. And it's so... Shocking in a way that two people assessing the same person can think so differently, right? That you're sitting there going, wow, what a producer. She really delivers. And he's going, she's not as compliant and cooperative as I'd like. Um, wow, right? It's the same person, but viewed so differently. And I think in a case like that, um, one thing we can do is to flip the script. So if we hear somebody saying, you know, I I just don't think X person smiles enough. I don't think she brings enough warmth and friendliness in her interactions. Flipping the script and saying, would we say that about her male peer? Would that fly? Mm. Or does it raise some alarm bells that, wait a minute, you know what? We would never say that about Mike. Let's be real. You know, we would never say that about Joe, but we are saying it about her. What's going on? I love that. I need to write
0: down that question. I'm thinking that would be really good, like to have like three, even I'm just imagining that team of leaders sitting around a table. Maybe there's like a couple of questions that could be a standard to challenge those biases. So you said, would we say this about our male counterpart? Would we say this about our male peer? Anything else that you would recommend they challenge on?
1: I think another one is saying, you know, particularly I mentioned people decisions, Having a a objective criteria or rubric for how we're assessing candidates, maybe that's to get performance ratings, or maybe it's to get that exciting promotion, but some objective criteria. So that way, our biases don't creep in when, you know, maybe we're lacking criteria, and we're more likely to give Mike, the candidate, a green light and say, oh, he's got loads of future potential. Mm. But Rachel, uh, I think she needs three more years to be ready.
0: Yeah. So right. let's let's so dig into that piece for a second. Yeah. But that's so common. And it's so frustrating that the women who don't advocate for themselves, which is what we're going to be talking about in a second, are the ones who are told that they need three more years while they're still doing the work. Yeah. So you said some objective criteria for these people decisions. So what would some objective criteria be?
1: So some of it would be something like a bachelor's degree in engineering, you know, if if that's our role, that's a pretty clear uh, determinant if somebody's got that or not. Um, three to five years of experience in the engineering world, right? In this made up scenario. Um, maybe there's a certification of significance you want for this person. That's what I'm talking about. And when we have that in place, you know we have kind of a north star to guide some of our hiring and people decisions and so that we're not just hiring the family friend who mm-hmm. doesn't really cut the you know doesn't really meet the standard mm. we're not just greenlighting the the man maybe out of habit or bias presuming his intelligence and competence but questioning <sighs> a woman's of equal you know, um, credentials. Mm -hmm. And by the way, this is called the prove it again bias. And, and it's, it's not just an experience you or I have observed. It's proven that we tend to hold women and people of color to higher standards. Hence that name prove it again. It's like, if you have to jump through one ring as a, a white male, you know, someone else has to dr- jump through multiple rings and prove again and again that they have what it takes, that they are ready.
0: Mm. And do you see in your work, like, do you see the world changing in any way in, the, in that respect? I just want to pause this episode for a second to tell you about something super exciting that I'm hosting on the 22nd of May and it's absolutely free. It's my brand new imposter syndrome breakthrough masterclass. I cannot wait because in this one hour masterclass, I'm going to show you how you can make the ultimate shift from struggling to execute with confidence and feeling not good enough and confused as to how you can make changes to exploding your personal confidence in your leadership role and eliminating imposter syndrome for good. So you can make the impact you want to make while maintaining balance and having a lot more fun too. Trust me, this is going to be so worth an hour of your time. Head over to LucyGarden.com forward slash masterclass right now to save your seat.
1: Uh, I do, but I think it's it's slow. I think the sense of urgency isn't there. And, you know, I think sometimes we hear and see statistics, even sobering statistics, like how few women are in the C-suite, for example, of, of large companies. And there is a kind of numbing that I think has happened to people. Um, you know, a little bit of a glazing over that mm-hmm. we hear the facts, we hear the information, but it's, it's been so constant. Um Then it almost doesn't trigger a reaction mm. that's that's one way it feels looking at the corporate world and observing mm. um that's not to say there aren't efforts and experiments being done mm. um, but I actually think what's you know good for particular groups is is actually good for everyone mm. and I think one of the things that's gonna rise uh, more and more to the surface as important to all employees is personal choice. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the workplace, I think there's so much um, personal choice that gives us a sense of agency, the sense that we are our own self-advocates, the sense that we are crafting our jobs alongside our employer. We're not just... Snapping to attention and doing what we're told. Mm. We're co-owners, you know, in the work we're doing. Mm. Um, so I think giving employees more personal choice, um, and I think this is why we're seeing such a backlash with return to work. It's not so much where employees work, for example, that research is showing is important to them. It's having a choice. Yes, and yeah. I think sometimes hybrid is an, the illusion of choice. Mm. But it's really um, come here when I say you should come here. <laughs> yeah. And so.
0: But like, I, I think, you know, I, I, I see there's a lot of change happening and I agree with you. It, It is definitely slow. But I think I think there's a lot of blame that is put on organizations, whereas I think that, you know, you are the women are part of the organization. So, I mean, you can I know that, you know, the culture is set from the top down and all of that good stuff. But if women don't advocate for themselves and don't believe in themselves first and foremost, nothing is ever going to change. Um, I I had a client recently who she was at a, a VP level and she was asked to take on an additional scope within her within her bandwidth with no extra compensation. And this was addition- taking on an additional revenue stream, I think, of like a billion dollars, something ridiculous. And mm-hmm. she didn't want to have the conversation because... A lot of women that I would, you know, encounter, I don't know about you, kind of have this need for validation. And it's like, well, if I'm doing a really, really good job, if I'm doing a good enough job, they'll reward me. And that is just not the case. So what would you say to that person who's listening now, who and I think I saw you doing an Instagram reel on this, I think at some point, um, you know, they've been voluntold, they've been given additional responsibility, and they want to push back or they
1: want to be compensated. Mm-hmm. How do they handle this? This is such an interesting question, and I did just make a reel about this, and it's it went viral. And I cannot tell you, Lucy, how much disagreement there was Mm. in the comments, which just made my head spin. I found it really fascinating how passionate people were, but how different their views and perspectives. One camp was saying look, this is a great opportunity to learn. In fact, the way I moved up in the corporate world was by saying yes to juicy, big opportunities like this. Don't worry, you'll figure out the pay and title later. Okay, that's one side. Um, and, and along with that side was a group of people who said, you will most certainly get punished if you say no. Mm-hmm. You know, either directly or indirectly. The other side said, absolutely not. You know, no is enough of an explanation. No, I won't do it without additional pay and recognition in terms of the title. Um, no further discussion. So it was really fascinating. Uh, you know, how differently people felt about this and, and strongly it really struck a nerve. And I think that's because there is a kind of power dynamic shift happening right now in the work world um, where I think employees felt very captive mm-hmm. in moments like that. Like, I don't really have a choice here, mm-hmm. but I'm here to say you most certainly do. Mm-hmm. And everything is negotiable. Yes. Everything is negotiable. And in the best case scenarios, we can make it somewhat of a win-win. You know, we can strive for that, but look, in some cases, it's not, it's not going to make the other person happy when we set a limit or we say, you know, I'm unable to do that at this time without, you know, a change in my title or having my compensation rise, you know, in alignment with these responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, So it's, again, it's great to find those win-wins, but there are plenty of times where we will need to sit with the discomfort of the person across from us who's not very happy with us. Mm. And you know what, like
0: that's, I I recorded a podcast on this a while back on how to negotiate your salary. And one of the, the, the steps that I shared was, you know, you've got to be ready to walk out the door, like, and they have to know that. So it's like, you know, I think a lot of women go in with this, permission based like can i have a pay rise or you know i'm really good at my job and i know you want me to do this would it be okay if you can compensate me and that energy just does not sell so i i mean what what would you say to i suppose the woman who is in her job right now she knows she's being pay underpaid versus her peers mm-hmm. um, she knows she's adding more value because the business results show it She's got all of this data usually to back up the fact that she should be, you know, being compensated appropriately. Where can it's where can she find the confidence going back to your confidence like what tools or techniques would you recommend to somebody in that position?
1: Yeah, I love your point here about the energy you're bringing because that energy means everything. Everything. It really it's the vehicle you know, for your words and your message to reach the other person. And one of the frameworks that I really like to encourage people to do, you know, helps with exactly what you just pointed out. Instead of it being this permission-seeking conversation, may I have, can I pretty please have this thing? It's more like bringing the energy of a really valuable business proposal that yes. you're in front of your manager. And what would that energy look like, right? It, it wouldn't look like, hey, would you be willing to listen mm-hmm. for just a few minutes? Mm-hmm. I know you're so busy and I know you have a lot going on, but would it be okay? No, it doesn't sound like that. It sounds mm-hmm. like, hey, is now a good time? I have a really you know, important conversation to share with you. I think we can talk about something that's gonna add some real value it's excited. It's enthusiastic, right? Um, it might be bottled enthusiasm, but you can feel the person's excitement and the sense of possibilities. Mm. And, you know, that's the energy I encourage people to bring. And so there's a framework I teach when I'm teaching self-advocacy, um, and it's really before any high stakes conversation. And it's to use GPS mm. to kind of think about Stand in the shoes of your audience before you ever talk to them. And so the G is for goals. Really thinking about what are their short and long-term business objectives and goals that are like front of mind for that person. The, uh, the P is for passions. And this could be interests, causes, uh, that are really meaningful to them. Maybe it's an initiative within the organization and everyone's saying that word or term. It's really hot and important and meaningful. Another one is struggles. Okay, so not so much their passions and interests, but what is their pain that they're feeling right or, you know, um, discomfort? And Looking at these goals, passions, and struggles, is there a way that you can hook to your proposal how you might help their GPS in some way? Maybe not all three, but maybe you're showing, look, here's how I'm able to pursue and further your goals Mm -hmm. of X, Y, and Z with this proposal um, with me as a VP, you know, moving me into a VP role. I could really take your goals to the next level or your passion. I know you, a passion of yours is to be an employer of choice. Um, you know, if I'm able to serve on this recruitment, um, you know, of women and minorities committee, um, I believe it can really advance further your interest in being a top employer, you know, or maybe it's that struggle. Uh, I know X is a really manual process. We're um, very time consuming. My plan will alleviate that. Mm-hmm. And so I think this is a wonderful way for us to negotiate and advocate for ourselves um, and really move the conversation from the energy of me, 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 can mm-hmm. I have, I want, I need, I deserve to We.
0: Yes. yes. Oh my God. I love that tool. I absolutely love it. GPS. I'm writing that yeah. one down. And you reminded me of um, when I, again, when I worked in corporate and I, again, it's like the biggest mistake I think people make when they go into these negotiations, it is like me. So I remember um, one of my team came to me and she asked me for a pay rise and, and her, her negotiate or her rationale was that she had been with the company for five years She needed more money because she had a mortgage and she wanted to be compensated. Now, Mm -hmm. I knew that this girl was amazing at her job. So I didn't diss her. I just explained to her, look, you're not talking my language here. I can't go to my superior and say, you've bought a house and you need more money. You've got to be able to come up with a tangible list of reasons that you deserve this, that link to the bottom line. And she did. And we got it over the line because of that. So I think that that is like, I always talk about too, I call it the the tunnel, the tunnel of trust, because especially when I started my business and you know this, you know, you've got to talk in your ideal clients exactly, you know, their, their language, you've got to talk Mm -hmm. to their pain points. So they understand that you understand them. And if we apply the same things in marketing and as we do in marketing in in these negotiations, it's exactly the same thing. So I love that you said that, that, that GPS goals, passions, and struggles and talking in their language amazing. So, so good. So, so I'm good.
1: I'm so glad. And I really look at it, Lucy, as like a life skill, not just a yeah. workplace skill, but I, I think we'd be further along as humans if we were willing to do more perspective taking, Yeah, you know, to really say, okay, what is it like? Uh, what must it be like
0: mm. to
1: be them? And so I, it's, I'm a big believer. It's something I'm trying to teach my kids.
0: I think we've teach ourselves too 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 though, right? Like I think, you know, people listening like you, I don't know about you, Selena, but I'm certainly not perfect. I don't get it right all of the time. But it's about having these tools and these frameworks to be able to go back and go, Okay, why like why am I feeling this way? And then being able to leverage that.
1: So just in case you think I'm not perfect, I don't
0: know if you are, but I'm definitely not. (laughs)
1: Oh, same here. In fact, I yeah, I think I started with my uh, my own biased moment. And I've had many where I failed to implement GPS. And so many of the women, wonderful women I've interviewed for my books. Many of them admitted the same to having a really catastrophic meeting. Uh, one woman in particular I'll never forget, she was trying to woo a really important crowd and she said I used all out- outdated terms and acronyms, right. that they no longer used in their industry and she said it killed my credibility. Mm. You know, and one of her points was I wish I had taken the time, you know, to either tap my network or think through their GPS, do my own research, and really get clear on, like you said, their main language, their big goals, passions, and struggles of now, not Mm. five years ago. Mm. So what I wanted to ask
0: you now, and I should have asked you at the start, because we've just got into this, is like, how did you become like this? I mean, you're a multi-award winning, you know, a coach, author, you're a speaker, like
1: how did you become the woman you are today? Wow. That's a, a great question. And I feel really lucky. I get to work on a mission that really drives me every day to help people be more confident self-advocates. Um, you know, I myself am a recovering good girl. Mm-hmm. And I think for a long time, I struggled to advocate my needs. And it's really a big piece of what got me fired up to learn about this to incorporate it in small ways into my life and kind of daily and weekly practice um, and ultimately to teach it to others, you know, to dig deeper and interview women leaders about, you know, their hardest won lessons in advocating for themselves, what they might recommend to help someone else accelerate their path and get there
0: Mm. quicker. Mm. And what was your light bulb moment? So, I mean, we're like, good girls back in the past and I'm exactly the same as you when I kind of just realized you know what life is so short why am I living thing why am I living my life to please other people when I'm not pleasing myself and for me it was when my father-in-law passed away in 2020 it was like that. my whole world changed and I'm curious for you like when was that moment because there
1: usually is one yeah there usually is you're right and I'm sorry to hear about your father-in-law thank you um you know i i i said like i mentioned i a recovering good girl i definitely was raised in a home taught to kind of defer to authority um that it was like a little better to be seen than heard and that didn't make me a natural self advocate when i was younger um but we lost my dad very suddenly when i was a teenager and that was devastating uh, across the board well, years later, a few years later, when it came time to co- go to college, um, which, you know, in the U S is a fully personally funded endeavor. We, um, my mom was able to help me as an incredible single mom go to college that first year. And the school gave me some financial aid and I loved it. I loved the college. I loved everything about it. But lo and behold, that second year I got a lot less financial aid. And my mom sat me down at our kitchen table with like pain in her eyes that I'll never forget. And she said, honey, I can't send you back. I'm sorry. I just can't swing it. And I knew in that moment, if anything was going to change the future of what was going to happen, it had to start with me. My mom had never been to a four-year college, let alone, you know, haggled with a financial aid office. Um, and so I wrote a long appeal letter and I asked them to reconsider. I said, please, you know, these are the ways I would like to contribute to the university and university life. Here are the many jobs I will take on from the, you know, cafeteria to working in one of your continuing education offices, tour guide, whatever it takes. I will do it to make it worth it to you. And to my shock, they changed that number. They increased those dollars, not just for year two, but for year three and year four as well. And I realized in that moment, asking for what you need Mm -hmm. can change your life. But so often, you know, even if you have loved ones, or you have sponsors at work, or, you know, mentors or people rallying for you, nobody is going to ask on your behalf. Mm. Like, you really have to be your own number one advocate. Oh. um, And so that really changed my life in, in gratitude for what that school did for me, but also showing me what can happen, you know, when you when you propose something that can be a win-win. You're giving me because I'm with you in the story.
0: I'm imagining you like writing that letter. I can imagine the emotion and I can just feel, I can see how that would have changed everything. And I think what's really important in that. And I think it's a lesson that everyone can take from everything which you teach in terms of that specific example for leadership and, and the workplace is first of all, you didn't take no for an answer. You went back with a, a different approach. You spoke in their language again about how you could add value. And clearly you were emotional. You clearly you wanted this. So I think like those three things I think are, are a massive factor in it. And I, I love you remind me of um Chris Jenner, what she always says. I love the Kardashians. I don't know about you. I just i think they're, I just really respect them. I know there's like most people hate them, I like them. <laughs> she says, um, if you If you hear no, you're just talking to the wrong person. Like no never means no. You're just talking to the wrong person or you're talking to the right person at the wrong time. So Mm -hmm. I love that you were able to turn that no into a yes. So well done. I love it. Love it, love it, love
1: it. Thank you. Such a learning experience. And I forgot to mention they gave me all those jobs too. (laughs) I'm so grateful for it. I learned so much through Mm -hmm. those jobs and, you know, kind of helped me feel more like I was earning my place. Yeah. And look where it's taken you. And I love that you're now using all those experiences
0: to teach women all around the world. So let's talk about before we finish up, let's talk about your book, Quick Confidence. Now, guys, this is not sponsored or anything. I just love Selena and she has it here and I loved everything about it. I love the yellow. I love everything. So tell us about your book.
1: Sure. So most of us don't have a lifetime to build confidence right? A huge majority of people, 85% say they struggle with confidence issues. And so one of the things I've been really excited to do in this book is compile over 85 different ways that we can practice and build up our confidence in small, bite-size, everyday ways. So not just the grand gestures and the once a year, um, you know, bold bets, but small ways we can do this. And in the book, I separate out things we can do from a mindset perspective, right? Just between you and you, your own belief systems. I also separate out body language, things you can do to kind of maybe make a body shift. If you're in a bad way, you're not feeling good, you're uncomfortable. And then the third category is interpersonal moves. Those things that you can do in your interactions that boost your confidence. So I'm so excited. It's out in the world, Lucy. It started as a, a newsletter during the pandemic that went viral. And so it's really beautiful and, um, incredibly rewarding to see it be a book today. Amazing. And where can people find the book? I assume it's in all, all over. Yeah. Anywhere books are sold, you can find it on Amazon, um, you can find it at Barnes and Noble and other uh, bookstores, um, but pretty easy to find, which is great. Amazing. Well, I'll link that book in the show notes for you guys as well.
0: Okay, Selena, thank you so much. I'm conscious I've taken up um, some of your time and I'm really, really grateful that my listeners get to hear from you. Um, And I would like to just finish up by asking you two questions I always ask my guests. The first one is, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? It doesn't have to be related to confidence, and I'd love to hear the story behind it.
1: Yeah, so um, a a woman mentor of mine, she asked me one day, we were in the car driving to an event together. She said to me, Selena, who, who are the premier experts in your space? And I thought for a moment and rattled off, I think, three or four names, and she stopped at a red light and looked me dead in the eye, and she said, why not you? Mm. And I'll never forget it. I will never forget it. It's been over 10 years since she said that to me, and it's tattooed on my mind. It reverberates because I think so many of us as women find it easy, easier to amplify um, and, and hold up, uh, somebody else's work, um, somebody else as the expert, someone else as credentialed, ready, uh, experienced enough. And my hope and my wish for so many women is to see that in themselves, that, that you are already an expert. Uh, own it. Act like one because, you know, that's what
0: you are. Exactly. Oh, I love it. I love that's actually in how you introduce yourself as well. You are the the premier expert in your field, which I love. And then finally, what is one piece of advice that you, you know, if you you were lying on your deathbed and you, you know, you're with your family and they said to you, like, give us some parting wisdom or parting advice, what would you say?
1: Yeah, I would say um, something I think about so often and a piece of advice I give people Particularly overthinkers, those overthinkers. Don't tell yourself no before they do. Mm. You have that hunger and fire in your belly to go for that juicy job, write a book, um, propose a bold new initiative, uh, start a business, whatever it is. Don't tell yourself no before you know, that anticipated authority figure does, right? Put yourself in a position where you're willing to put a lot of shots on goal. Um, You know, use that volume approach rather than being really precious with what you ask for. Mm. Um, Get out there and get experience. You're only going to win or learn. Love it. So you're
0: only going to win or learn and never tell yourself no before they do. Oh, my God. So powerful. Selena, thank you so much. You've been an absolutely incredible guest. Where can people
1: find you if they want to learn more? Yeah, please look out for me at selinaresvani.com. That's my website. And you can uh, check out content I make five days a week, leadership content on video, on TikTok, Instagram. I share it on LinkedIn. Um, and my handles at all of those are Resvani.
0: Amazing, nice and easy to remember. Well, guys, we will link everything in the show notes. Selina, thank you so much for your time. You've been incredible. I'll talk to you again soon.
1: Thank you, Lucy.
0: Take care.